2: Falling in love is the
4: best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with once upon a time, doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producer Jeff Shane and Leah Rothman. Writer and host of The Real Killer. You can follow Leah on Twitter at Leah underscore Rothman. Episode 17, The Case of the Best Friends, The Plan, and The Laced Gatorade. Christian Aguilar was, quote, every father's dream. He was a hardworking student, affable, and had a tight-knit group of friends. At the Doral Academy, an elite charter school in Miami, Florida, where Christian attended, people described him as shy at first, but behind that, he was wickedly funny and sarcastic. An animal lover and Kanye West fan, Christian was known for his easygoing and charismatic personality. It's no surprise he had supportive and loyal friends. Christian's closest friend was Pedro Bravo. The two young men met in eighth grade and bonded over their love of superheroes and action movies. Pedro was described as shy, hardworking, and the kind of guy who wouldn't hurt a fly. Also in their group was Erica Freeman. With her wide eyes and long brown hair, Erica began dating Pedro their sophomore year, and the couple fell in love. The pair dated through the rest of high school, becoming the it couple of their school, going on dates and celebrating anniversaries. However, in the summer of 2012, after graduation and with college approaching, Erica felt like it was time to be single, and so she broke up with Pedro. In a few months they would be headed to different places, Pedro to school in Miami to study engineering, and Erica to Santa Fe Community College in Gainesville, Florida to study biology. Dating long distance just didn't seem realistic. Like Erica, Christian, Pedro's best friend, was also headed to Gainesville to attend his dream school, the University of Florida. Christian got a scholarship to major in biomedical engineering. In Gainesville, Erica and Christian ran into each other and felt an instant connection. While in high school they'd been in the same group, their biggest connection was Erica's boyfriend and Christian's best friend, Pedro. But now in college, they could really get to know each other. It was not long before the pair began dating. Here's Jeff.
5: Let's go back to Pedro for a second. He was always known as the class clown in school. So when Erica broke up with him, she was really surprised how emotional he was. He cried and begged her to get back together. She didn't think he would take it as seriously as he did. And you know, while she felt bad, she was adamant she wanted to be single going into college. And much to her surprise, it seems that Pedro really thought they could be together. In reality, only 2% of high school couples actually go the distance. So the idea that somehow Pedro and Erica would be together forever just isn't realistic.
6: So Erica and Christian may have just been friends in high school, but she admitted that she always had a secret crush on him. But she thought, nah, it is never going to happen. Um, so when they did get together in college, she was ecstatic, over the moon, and I think very quickly felt like they're soulmates. When they'd spend time together, she used to tell him the world could end right now. And if I'm in your arms, I don't care. Which is just like, talk about love. Like that's that's an amazing sentiment.
5: Wow, so it seems like she really fell hard for him quickly.
6: Yeah, it seems like She maybe had some feelings prior to them getting together. She was totally excited when they did get together. And then she was like living the dream with him.
5: Yeah, and I think we can all relate to like that feeling of going to college and feeling like you're in a new place in your life and you feel a little more mature and a little more free and you might look at someone in a different way or feel like you're liberated to connect with someone in a new way. And that's what sounds like happened with her and Christian.
6: Totally, they're not under their parents' roofs. You know, they can have an adult kind of relationship and, and and that just is almost like a better foundation for a real, more mature love.
5: Exactly. It also might be a little awkward for them because Pedro was Christian's best friend, but I think when you're that age, you just don't really care. You wanna do what you wanna do and if you have feelings for someone, Everyone else is just a little bit collateral damage.
6: And Pedro wasn't in town, so, you know, what he didn't know wasn't necessarily going to hurt him. While Erica and Christian moved
4: on, Pedro was struggling to forget his high school sweetheart. He decided to take drastic measures to get Erica back, dropping out of school in Miami and transferring to her community college in Gainesville. Pedro began texting Erica with progressively frantic pleas. She felt uncomfortable, but didn't want to abandon Pedro in his time of need. What Erica did not know was that Pedro had a master plan to get her back. He wrote in his journal about it, quote, I will get out of Miami and into Gainesville by January 2013, and I will get her back. Quote, no one will stop me.
6: Oh my gosh, he wrote a lot more. He wrote about a plan to get rid of his acne, whiten his teeth, and only wear red shirts because according to him, they catch women's attention more. His journal was also filled with intricate drawings of things like women's faces, lots of hearts, shattered hearts, hearts in pieces, hearts in bits, lots of broken hearts, and tons and tons of writings. He was getting more obsessed with the idea of getting her back.
5: Yeah, obsessed is an understatement. Despite his best laid plans, Pedro ended up hearing through the grapevine that Christian and Erica were dating, which was a big blow to him, obviously. So on September 17th, 2012, he ended up confronting her. He pulled up a photo of her and Christian together and demanded answers. Erica didn't know what to do, so she lied and denied everything. She told Pedro that she and Christian were just friends. And so, you know, lying never seems like a good idea, but I think we can all relate to feeling like you're under pressure and someone's confronting you with something. And the easy thing to do is just to deny, deny, deny. Leah, what do you make of his plan, like getting rid of your acne and whitening your teeth and just wearing a certain color? It all seems so misguided.
6: It does, it seems superficial, but maybe that's, he was just clinging on to anything that could help. I did wonder why he was worried about attracting like women of the opposite sex as opposed to just Erica maybe there was a small part of him that was like okay look i need to get myself ready in case i can't get erica back and i do need to be out in the dating field you know playing the field again and and i want to look good have a bright smile and clear skin and i and a red shirt's going to help me get a lady i thought it was interesting that he he wrote that way it seemed mildly optimistic and also when you're a teenager You also just want those things in general you want clear skin and you want white teeth
5: yeah to me it seems like he just googled best way to attract woman and it would say you know have white teeth have clear skin i i just googled what's the color that attracts women the most and red is at the top of the search so he just probably did that and thought he's so naive that he thinks this is how the world works that if he wears a color eric will somehow fall back in love with him it's sad
4: really Increasingly desperate, Pedro reached out to his former best friend Christian for answers. Pedro told Christian he was depressed and needed help. Christian was apprehensive about meeting up with Pedro. He seemed rather unhinged, but ever the nice guy, Christian agreed. The pair decided to meet at a public place on the University of Florida campus. Here's a recording of Erica explaining Christian's frame of mind before the meeting. The audio is taken from Erica's testimony on the stand in 2014, one year later.
0: He wasn't happy about meeting up with
6: Pedro. He was a little, I mean, he didn't really want to, to, um, but we weren't really that concerned they were going to meet in a public place. You know, if anything was going to happen, it wasn't, he might try to punch him or something and Christian wouldn't fight. You know, he was, he's not much of a fighter, so he would kind of just walk away. I'm sure he thought we're meeting in public what could possibly happen exactly maybe he'll punch me maybe he'll like swear at me or yell at me and it will cause a scene but nothing more than that especially since they're meeting in public you'd never think anything other than that right you think you're safe
5: yeah and i think at this point This just seems a little bit like a teenage love triangle. Like I would imagine that Christian probably felt like none of this was that big of a deal at this point, and he might have some explaining to do, but he could probably work past it with someone who was once his best friend.
6: Exactly. This was his friend. He knows how his friend reacts to things. I mean, his friend's going to be mad. He's dating his ex-girlfriend, but that's it. I mean, he's seen his friend over many years react to various things and didn't think that he was in any danger.
5: Right. Leah, do we know, though, anything more about Pedro's frame of mind at this point?
6: Pedro was in a dark place. He seemed to know that Erica was lying at this point. He wrote in his journal, I feel like someone stabbed me and I'm bleeding out and dying. I want her back. Please, I'll give anything. He was not in a good place.
5: Yeah, it's dark. But I also, I mean, to play devil's advocate, I think anyone who's kept a journal can probably say that they've written what sounds crazy and dramatic in there. So how much can we really scrutinize someone's like private thoughts?
6: No, exactly. And I mean, he probably, as we all do, when we write our private thoughts, think no one's ever gonna read them. So we are very honest. And those honest feelings don't necessarily mean that anything's gonna come of them. It's just, you know, these are my hurt feelings. These are my deep, dark feelings. And they're for me and me only. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to read someone's journal and say, like, oh, well, if this, then that.
5: Right. I wonder, though, what Pedro's support system was at this point. I mean, he clearly lost his best friend, Christian. And so if he didn't have anyone else to talk to and he was just alone in these thoughts, you could see how someone would spiral out of control.
6: Yeah. And as we know, if one is in a dark place and left alone with their thoughts, that doesn't always help. <laughs> the spiral can be worse when you don't have anyone to talk to.
5: Right, by all counts, he didn't really seem to have many friends. I mean, he was in, he went to Miami for college originally, stayed there a very short time, and then headed to Gainesville with the sole intention of winning back Erica. And so it seemed like he kind of just honed in on that, probably, and didn't have much else going on in his life.
4: On September 20th, 2012, Christian met Pedro at The Hub, a popular gathering place for students on campus. Surveillance cameras were able to capture many of their movements that fateful day. The young men met at 1.39 p.m. and had lunch. They then drove to Best Buy where Christian bought a Kanye West CD. At 4.11 p.m., Pedro's blue Chevy Blazer pulled into a Walmart parking lot. The car was there for more than two hours, and it wasn't until 6.26pm that the car pulled out of the lot. By this point, Erica was getting nervous. Christian usually texted her all the time, but today he'd been radio silent. At 4.15am, there was still no word from Christian. Erica was officially freaked out, so she called Pedro. Pedro told her he had dropped Christian off and things were fine. By the next morning, Christian was still missing. Erica decided it was time to go to the police. At 9.44 a.m., she and Pedro went to the University of Florida campus police to report Christian missing.
5: Well, being the last person to see Christian alive, Pedro had a lot to say to the police, and he ended up talking to them for eight hours. While he denied knowing anything, his story didn't add up rather quickly. At first, he told the cops that, He and Christian fought and he ended up dropping him off in the woods near the Walmart they were last seen at. Then he started saying that they picked up a hitchhiker in a bad part of town. He described this guy as a 50 year old bearded man. At one point when he described the fight, he said that he punched Christian just once. Then just minutes later, he told them he punched him multiple times. Leah, what else were police doing to figure out what happened this fateful day?
6: Well, police began tracking Pedro's movements that day. It turns out after he left the Walmart parking lot at 6.26 p.m., Pedro was off the grid for five hours before reappearing at McDonald's, where he bought a Big Mac and a Dr. Pepper. He had put his phone in airplane mode, which was very suspicious to police. And then at 1.30, he went to get a car wash. At 2.53 a.m., according to building surveillance cameras, he returned back to his apartment and did a load of laundry. Now, I've never gone to the car wash at 1.30 in the morning. I didn't even actually know they were open that late. So that, I would think, to police would be very suspicious. And then doing laundry at 2.53, it could wait till the next morning. Why are you doing your laundry in the middle of the night? And then of course, having your phone off for five hours, people barely turn their phone off when they're actually flying. So yeah, I think all of this for police was just highly, highly suspicious.
5: I would say, I mean, college kids keep weird hours. So maybe you could explain going to the car wash or eating late at McDonald's or doing laundry in the middle of the night. But I think a college student is not putting their phone on airplane mode for five hours. That to me definitely seems suspicious. Police really quickly could track these men in that final day. There are cameras everywhere. And for some reason, this five hours, they really just disappear. And that seems weird too, because where could Pedro and Christian have gone that they wouldn't be on camera? But what police thought was very suspicious was that during his interrogation, Pedro kept referring to Christian in the past tense. And you know, having covered a lot of true crime, we know that is a very common tell when people do that. Because at this point, Pedro should think Christian is still alive. He said he dropped him off the question was though for police when they looked at the two men it seemed unlikely that pedro could have killed christian christian was eight inches taller than pedro it seemed like if they did actually get in this physical fight christian would have probably won
4: we're going to take a break we'll be back in just a moment
1: from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast No purchase necessary Void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
3: i'm scott weinberger journalist and former deputy sheriff in my new podcast series cold-blooded the apollo jim murders i'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter billy Halper.
2: Just a shame you know that they took them from us
3: experience this investigation in a truly unique way knocking on doors uncovering new evidence including the DNA of a potential killer.
1: Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up.
3: Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut. And I didn't say anything all these years. I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger i'll offer expert tips that are doable and i'll keep it short so let's do this Classes in session find try this from the washington post wherever you listen
5: the first thing you should do if police want to talk to you is call a lawyer but these are practical children i mean they're just Entering adulthood and they don't know any better. And so he's sitting there telling different stories and there's inconsistencies. I mean, Pedro at this point is in way over in his head over these eight hours.
6: You'd also think that you'd call your parents and say, come here, I need you. Maybe he thought he was smarter than the investigators interviewing him and that he, you know, was slick enough that he could give answers that could get him out but as the hours are ticking by during this interview you would think oh gosh i'm still here they're still asking questions they're trying to hone in on things i might be in trouble here (laughs) yeah i was surprised that he didn't ask for a lawyer or his parents
5: i feel like when you're that age there's two types of people there's the ones that like me would call their mom and dad immediately and then i think there's the other type of people who there's like a hubris that you think you're untouchable and there's a cockiness to you that you think you can say and do anything. And it seems like Pedro would fall into that latter category.
4: Friends and family began searching the Gainesville area in hopes of finding Christian. While loved ones felt it was tragically unlikely that Christian was still alive, they were determined to find him or his body. Meanwhile, eight days after Christian disappeared, police had enough to arrest Pedro. He was charged with kidnapping and first-degree murder. 22 days later, two hunters found Christian 60 miles from campus. His body had been bound with duct tape and he was found face down in a murky swamp. Two years later, the trial began. Christian's autopsy showed that the young man was drugged and suffocated. Prosecutors were sure that Pedro did it, but they had yet to prove how. They started by using Pedro's journals as evidence. In one entry, he wrote, when I fell, I fell hard, now I can't pick myself up. I feel weak, I want her back, I do anything.
6: Yeah, I mean, it seems like the desperation was at an all-time high at that point. Sometime after that, Pedro went to Lowe's and bought pesticide gatorade and a shovel he then also went to walmart and bought nyquil duct tape and a knife he also had some pretty damning google searches he searched what is chloroform how do sleeping pills kill you can rubbing alcohol knock someone out and then he was also trying to find some info on unsolved murders yeah the police Found a lot of damning evidence that um, he was at the very least plotting something.
5: And while that all looks pretty bad, that technically is all circumstantial evidence, but police also had some pretty hard physical evidence against Pedro. They found blood in Pedro's car and on his shoe. They also ended up finding Christian's backpack balled up in the back of Pedro's closet. They went as far as to match soil that they found in pedro's car to the swamp where christian's body was ultimately found and remember how christian was tied up with duct tape they ended up looking at the rip of duct tape on christian's arms and matching it with a tear of duct tape that they found on pedro's car meaning allegedly he used the same roll of duct tape to tie up his ex-best friend that he then used to tape something together on his car it's a plethora of things that he did wrong and that police caught him on. I mean, it's just sloppy. Like, he, it's like he wasn't even trying to cover up this crime.
6: It's so incredible that they could match the tears in the duct tape. Completely incredible. And it's so true about the Google searches. I mean, my Google searches as a true crime producer are not good.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, they're pretty bad.
6: You can imagine the kind of searches we all have. And so it's true. That is circumstantial evidence. But then when you couple that with the physical evidence, it seemed like police had a pretty strong case against Pedro.
5: No, and I go back to like what I was thinking earlier about at that age, you just kind of think you're untouchable. And it seems to me like Pedro really did think he was because he did all these things and with no attempt to cover them up. I mean, he kept his backpack. Why would you do that? And then he had the audacity to go march himself into a police station and sit down for eight hours lying straight to cops' faces. I mean, it's just, he clearly wasn't thinking straight.
6: Right, it is kind of amazing that Erica, like she said, you're going to police with me, and he goes. (laughs) He doesn't even say, I can't, I don't feel well, or like come up with some excuse, he goes. And it is, it's that like, I'm invincible and I'll be able to talk my way out of this.
5: Speaking of Erica, poor Erica. She must feel so bad about this, which is just tragic.
6: Yeah, I don't even know how you handle the guilt. And it is absolutely not her fault. She couldn't control Pedro. She had no idea what Pedro was going to do. She's not responsible for Pedro's actions. But I'm sure she felt awful.
5: I mean, I think the only thing that probably helped her was knowing that she could testify against Pedro and help ultimately put him away, hopefully.
6: Yeah scary to think she was going to have to face him in the courtroom, though. But perhaps the most
4: compelling evidence against Pedro was his former cellmate. He was a man named Michelangelo. Michael had bunked with Pedro for two and a half years and had gained his trust. According to Michael, Pedro not only admitted to killing Christian to him, but also spilled every gory detail. Here's a portion of Michael's testimony.
3: I think originally he said that he was gonna try to poison him with uh, a mixture of (laughs) sleeping pills and pesticide and mixed with soda or something, like yeah, I guess soda. And uh, his backup plan was to uh, have a knife, you know, to cut his throat in case it didn't work. You know, after he had got back in the driver's seat and he was, you know, I guess riding around to dispose of the body that It was making a sound like, uh," and that's the reason that he held on to the driving strap while he was riding around because it freaked him out.
5: As we know, Michelangelo really helped the prosecution in their case against Pedro and what he said was pretty damning. According to him, when Pedro and Michael first met in jail, Pedro allegedly wanted to use Michael for his gang contacts on the outside. Pedro's plan was to get a gang member to start killing people in a similar fashion to Christian so that the public would think there was a serial killer on the loose. Um, Instead of doing that, which thank God he didn't, uh, Michael decided to become a jailhouse informant for a more lenient sentence. And Pedro ended up being very forthcoming with his cellmate. He told Michael that the day of the murder, he drugged Christian with the laced Gatorade that he had bought at Lowe's. He then put a thick moving strap around his neck and braced himself around the driver's seat and pulled. Christian struggled, but was too groggy from the drugs to fully fight back. And according to Pedro, it took 13 minutes to kill his former best friend. Do we know anything about Pedro's defense to all this as, you know, the prosecution is laying all this out?
6: Yeah. So when Pedro took the stand, first of all, there was an audible gasp in the courtroom He said that he loved Erica and he wanted to get her back and he was going to get her back, but he admitted that when he found out that Erica and Christian were dating, he snapped, totally snapped. Um, He then stuck to the story that the last time he saw Christian, they got into a physical fight, but that he left him on the side of the road and never saw him again. Uh, He said that the shovel and the drugs, he said those were actually to kill himself. Yeah, and he told jurors that he was going to dig his own grave. Um, On the stand, his behavior was very strange. He was conversational and jovial. At times, he was smiling and laughing, just trying to imagine what Christian's parents were thinking while he was on the stand. His testimony just must have been so hard to hear for Christian's family and friends. Let's stop here for another break.
5: I wanna go back to the murder taking place in the Walmart parking lot, because as we know, they pulled into the parking lot at 4.11 p.m. and then pulled out at 6.26. So that means somewhere in that a little over two hour window is when Pedro actually killed Christian, which is just so haunting to think that, you know, you can see the car on surveillance and sometime in that time period, someone's getting murdered. It's just hard to wrap your head around.
6: Let's just think about how long 13 minutes actually is. It's not a quick gunshot. That is a very, very long murder.
5: Yeah, you really you really have to want to do it.
6: Do we know if it happened at the beginning of those two hours in the parking lot or towards the end?
5: Well, we know that he gave him that laced Gatorade, so I would imagine He gave him the gatorade when they pulled in and then waited a little bit how long does nyquil take to kick in 45 minutes 30 minutes but we know that he then pulled out of that parking lot and drove somewhere to that swamp to hide the body so he's driving with his dead best friend in the front seat i mean
6: no it's awful
5: you know and thinking about his diaries and what his frame of mind was it wasn't just a teenage boy lamenting over heartbreak this is a very disturbed young man who was spiraling out of control over his love of this girl. And without help or someone to talk to, he really just thought this was his way out and this is what he had to do. It's just really disturbing.
6: What's interesting is that on the stand, Pedro said he snapped. But when I think of snapped, I think of then crime of passion. It happens in the moment. This is a lot of planning that went into executing this murder. And and something else that's, you know, stuck with me in terms of, you know, an explanation of the shovel, he said he was going to dig his own grave. So he might have dug a hole. If this were true, he would have dug a hole, but he couldn't have covered it.
5: Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes no sense. That's an interesting point about the premeditation, too. I didn't think about that, but like he had weeks to think about this i mean he went to gainesville with a plan i mean his whole explanation makes no sense because he's saying he snapped snapped and did what though he's saying all he did was maybe punch him a couple times and then left him and didn't kill him so he's kind of contradicting himself like once again like he did in the interrogation room now he's doing it on the stand i can't believe that his lawyer didn't think of a better defense i mean this is a pretty weak defense i think
6: yeah, very weak, considering all the evidence against him. I mean, it was a completely avoidable situation. It absolutely didn't have to happen. I'm not a psychologist. I was not inside Pedro's brain, although his journal gave us some insight into what he was thinking. And, you know, like you said, Jeff, he he's troubled. He obviously was very troubled. It's too bad that he wasn't able to get any help before it got to this point. It's just a very, very sad case, and and one that absolutely did not have to happen.
4: After nine days of testimony and over 1,000 pieces of evidence, a jury of eight women and four men took just three hours to find Pedro Bravo guilty of murder. He made a final statement maintaining his innocence and continuing to deny murdering Christian. The judge sentenced him to life in prison with no parole. During Erica and Christian's brief but significant romance, Christian was romantic and passionate. He always made her feel special, and Erica dreamt of one day marrying him. It was a dream that would never become a reality.
5: Leah, what can you tell us about your podcast, The Real Killer?
6: So... I'm sure you have experienced a case that you cannot walk away from. And so I told uh, a version of the story of The Real Killer in 2015 for TV. And since then, I've just been like, I'm not done. I need to go deeper. I need to kind of forget what I think I know about the case and just start from square one. And that's what I did. It's about a horrific murder that happened in St. Louis A single mom was murdered. Her two little girls, who were four and seven, were viciously, viciously attacked. Joanne Tate, the mom, she dies. The two little girls survive, barely. And the seven-year-old becomes police's only real eyewitness. And a month later, she ends up pointing the finger at one of her mom's ex-boyfriends. Two trials later, he's convicted and sent to prison, and that's supposed to be the end of it. But it was kind of just the beginning and in 2015 that 7 year old who's now in her early 40s recants and says he didn't do it so we reinvestigate the case we talk to those at the center of it and we ask who is the real killer and what we find is shocking all episodes are out now all 11 episodes and I still feel like I want to go back and do more it might be one of those stories that I'm just never going to be able to shake it's kind of shocking to see how it all plays out in this case.
5: Yeah. You do such a good job of the complex nature of the crime and tracking it over all these years. Yeah. It's really interesting. And like just the human experience of it all and like how it affected all these people. You see an article or you listen to a single episode of crazy in love and you kind of forget that like, these are real people and like there's years and years of trauma that it happens because of it. And so I think in, the real killer you're really able to explore a lot of that over the course of the 11 episodes so great job
6: thank you that's the one thing i really really wanted to do was to make sure that everyone who listens gets a sense of who these people are you know it's not just like the label of victim or the label of accused killer but who are these people and what did they go through it's a case that spans almost 40 years
5: well, thanks for being on today's podcast. You offered some of that insight into this very sad and tragic case.
6: Thank you very much. Shameless
4: plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. To view our recent documentary, Murdered and Missing in Montana, you'll find it streaming now on Peacock. Follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers.
0: I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.